Hey everybody, welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jared D. Sexton. I'm here with Nick Houseman. Nick, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I, I'm actually kind of. I'm, I don't. I don't know. I thought I was going to tell you I'm great. I'm feeling good, and uh, and then the reality sets. You in. just stomped on the brakes there. You were going 75 miles an hour, like just to get started, and then you pump the brakes. It felt it felt good for a second there, and then you remember like you know some of the things that are going on in, in about you know. Man, listen. That- that bodes well. There's some local news around here that's like making me think. Well, I don't know. I forgot. Are you completely against the Second Amendment, or do you have you have a, you don't have a problem with having like guns that can protect? No, you, I, right? I, I've I've said before I'm a gun owner. Where's this going? Where's You're a happening? gun owner, right? Uh, do I do we want to get into the? I'm local a responsible gun owner. Made? I don't think that people should have anything more than rifles. What what's happening here? What is no, no. There's some you know. It's that footage. The guy was going into his house with his young, you know, oh. young kid and the wife and the nanny, and then they run up on him with guns. It's, and this is right down the street from me. And uh, he pulls out his gun though, starts firing, and they run away. So thank God, it's a great ended up being a happy ending. And then you start to wonder, well, you know, I would I would prefer to have every single gun that's ever been invented just, you know, melted into wax or whatever. But um, guns are not made of wax right now. But no, anyway, they're, not. Uh, they're made but, of metal mostly. Yes. Yes. And so but there's the, there's the moment where like, you know, OK, well, luckily for him, he had a gun, I guess he didn't. Of course, you see that he takes it out and he's firing. He doesn't hit anything. No, nope, you know, it's it's hard to hit something when you want to, I guess. And, and actually, when you're thinking about it. Right. But it's, it, they ran away. Uh, I, the only thing that was that made me feel good about it was that in, it was covered in one of these sort of right wing things. What's wrong with liberal cities? So they described my neighborhood as a uh, affluent neighborhood. You've been here. Uh, it, I, that sounds nice. I would like to know that I live in an affluent neighborhood, even though that's completely you live in an affluent neighborhood. I'm not going to put you on blast, but it's an affluent neighborhood. It's not like a ritzy neighborhood. It's affluent. Okay, well now we got to parse the the, the yeah the, semantics, the, my friend. All right, I guess, but you know they're they're trying to make it seem like oh even the rich people are going to get attacked. The fact, by, uh, like, the fact that they pulled that out that was an aggressive semantic choice is what yes. it was. Okay. And anyway, honestly, so yeah. Well, I'll just say first of all, for people listening, we have not talked about any of this. This came completely out of left field. We talked about what we were going to talk about on the show. We did not get into this. Apparently, there was gun violence in your neighborhood. Things are getting weird out there. I ran to Lowe's uh, actually last night, and, like, I walked in to get something, and, like, one of the employees was like, they just tased a guy. The cops had to chase the guy in and tase him and pull him out, and I was like, what is going on? It's Well, thank God they tased him and not shot him. Well, I I, I mean, maybe. I, I don't want to be tased. I don't, I don't want anyone to be tased. It's awful. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. That's the, um, that's the, that's the title of the podcast. Is, I don't want to be tased. That, this podcast is, again, we went from 75, pumping on the brakes, and then right back to 95. So here we are. Right. It's um, all my fault. Before we get to everything that we're talking about besides the gun violence in your neighborhood, wow. Um, a reminder, this Wednesday, uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern is the third Republican uh, primary debate. It's going to be on N- NBC News. Lester Holt's going to be there. Hugh Hewitt is going to be there, which is going to suck. It's going to be so terrible. But as always, we are going to be broadcasting live after the GOP debate. That's right. Go over to patreon.com slash podcast to watch that live stream recording. If you have been to these things before, you know. 
Nick and I are going to give you the type of analysis you're not going to find anywhere else. We'll tell you what's going to happen over the next few weeks. We'll tell you where the polls are going. We'll, we'll t- tell you where the race is going. Uh, we'll do what nobody else does. Uh, if you haven't been before, come join. That's patreon.com slash podcast. In the world of politics, Nick, um, there's a lot going on. We are a year out from the 2024 election. And uh, to commemorate the one-year-out mark, uh, the New York Times and Siena released a poll that has literally everybody running around with their hair on fire. Uh, for some good reason, uh, in other ways, not so much. But right now, it shows Donald Trump, who last time I checked is under indictment for, I think, 90, 100, 120 counts of felonies, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And it has him leading Biden right now in five battleground states. It has him up 11 points in Nevada, six in Georgia, five in Arizona, five in Michigan, and four in Pennsylvania. Uh, We'll get into the actual specifics of the polling, but just to start, Nick, um, it's not great. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's not where you want to be a year out from this thing. So you remember when the, uh, in 2020, when they were running and the campaigns were at full speed? And Trump used to say that uh, Biden was um, sitting in his basement. Remember that? Yeah. Those, yeah. The solid days of, uh, of the 2020 election. Um, there was a little bit of truth to that, sure. I think, you say. Sure. Not, not necessarily that he was in the basement, but he wasn't out and about and really liked talking a lot of the time. So in, in some respect, like that is sort of what's going on now where he is talking and he is in front of ca- microphones and cameras. Um, and we all have our concerns about, you know, now, you know, three and a half, three years later of, of what his progression is, you know, as an older person. Um, but I also think that Trump is benefiting greatly from being in his own basement to some degree where people are, you know, they've kind of forgotten well, he's in a little a courtroom. bit. <laughs> right. He's in a courtroom. That's right. Fair he's in a court- it doesn't matter which courtroom he's in a courtroom somewhere. Test, by the way, testifying today, today. You know, so you know when um, when people are guilty and they're being questioned and they like just can't stop talking and they keep throwing in non sequiturs. I think like they call that the Trump. Yes. Yeah, and so the, the, the transcription of this stuff and uh, while it's testifying is exactly this, where he just keeps trying to you know turn left on, at every question and, and throw in stuff about how much he's worth and how. By the way, he starts to just call out the judge to the judge's face. And call the whole thing a sham. It's fascinating. It's going to make it probably an interesting made-for-TV movie, whatever. But um, yes, so so I think that you know that's still a bit of a limited scale. It's not on TV. It's not televised. So we don't watch it directly. We have to read the transcript. So, but anyway, once Trump kind of gets back out and becomes another one of those sort of races that we see later on, or you know, into twenty twenty four. People, people remember, remind themselves of what they're dealing with in terms of Trump, and I think that some of these numbers might might change a little bit. Well, so to begin with, every time that we ever talk about a poll, it's really important to say a couple of things. One, does it mean something? Yeah, it does. Does it mean everything? No, it does not. Uh, Polling is not the exact science that everybody makes it out to be. But on top of it, listen, Joe Biden has a problem. And we've talked about it on this podcast. And there are a lot of reasons why that's taken place. One, being president of the United States of America sucks right now. Nobody, nobody really wants to support the person who's president because they want the president to fix all the things that are wrong. This country is in decline right now. 
this country is in a real crisis right now, a, a multiple crises. Um, this is because of the, uh, the economy. You can go out and you can spend millions of dollars telling people the economy is good. But if inflation is making everything expensive, if if precarity is a financial strategy, it, and by the way, we I say it all the time, the numbers are always measuring how well people are being exploited. So yeah, some people are getting raises. Some people are, are feeling really good about themselves. Millions of Americans feel really poorly about what's going on economically for good reason. On top of that, the American hegemonic empire is falling apart. That's all we keep talking about, whether it's Ukraine or what's going on in Gaza. Like, you, if you're the president of the United States while this is going on, it doesn't reflect well on you. It doesn't go very well, you know? On top of that, his stance and the way he's handled this situation in the Middle East, people aren't happy with it. I mean, if you actually take a look at the numbers right now, the base is starting to crumble. And not only is it in these numbers, which I got to tell you, Nick, right now, 22% more, 22 points more prefer the economy when it comes to Trump. That's disgusting. When it comes to Israel, the economy, when it comes to national security, immigration, the numbers are overwhelmingly in support of Donald Trump, not because he's great, but because he's not Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the issue in a lot of this. People are not happy with what's going on. They're not happy with the direction of the country. It wouldn't matter if it was Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And on top of that, as I've said on this podcast, I do not think that Joe Biden is the man for the moment. I think it is time for him to move aside for new leadership to come in. I think you also need somebody who can articulate a vision of the future, which is not what Joe Biden is good at. He's good at mourning the past as opposed to talking about where things are going. Um, this is, again, something, but it's not everything. Fair enough. Uh, let's get some context, shall we? They, they interview some people. Uh, they go to these places like uh, in Pennsylvania, Ugh. and they interviewed uh, a woman uh, from Allentown who says, quote, jobs are down because Biden didn't know how to handle the pandemic. Says Monica Furman, 51 from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Nick, I, I, I want to say again, and, and maybe this is going to become a catchphrase, the terminally confused American voter who has no idea what they're talking about. They just have talking points that they'll just say out loud. Right. Well, and, uh, well we can explain exactly why you say that. Well, like, jobs you know, are up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, unemployment is down to record levels. And who was in charge during the pandemic? Trump. And, he, and so she said Trump didn't know at first, but Biden was even worse. So this cool. is what we're dealing with when you're talking about these polls, right? And so, and and the the, the articles that have been written about this, the hand wringing, because you and you say this all the time. They need a horse race. They want to make this thing as close as possible. They yeah. need to be able to milk this as early as they can for more eyeballs. Um, all of these things are factoring into how they're covering this. And uh, but when you look at the electorate, you look at who they're at talking to. It, it gives you some insight. But that's the electorate, right? That's the problem. Oh, you're right. They're going to cast a vote. That, that is the electorate. And and listen, we spend so much time on this podcast, and this is our calling card. We do deep politics in this. We get in the context. We get in the history, all that stuff. Let's go shallower for a second. Eventually, at some point, if the most uninformed voters and also the national narrative in total is like, wow, this president doesn't have it, at some point or another, the president needs to fix that. Do they not? Like that yeah. is the problem. 
if you aren't able to give people a different narrative, like Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter was not able to articulate to people why things were happening. He was not able to assuage the fears and there was a narrative that took over. Joe Biden has not been able to shake a narrative, whether it's earned or not. And as a result, you have to say, wow, maybe this isn't working. Uh, I don't I can't I can't tolerate Jimmy Carter slander. It's not Jimmy Carter slander. It's the fact that he didn't know how to communicate in a modern presidential way. They wanted Ronald Reagan. They wanted sound bites that didn't really mean anything that made people feel better. Jimmy Carter wanted to talk to people like adults. Right. That was the problem. Fair enough. And and by the way, so, and Biden could have done that in, you know, but not now. Like Biden seems like he, he's truly struggling, right? But the funny yeah. thing was, you, you listen to Trump and he seems like he's struggling as well with a different version. He might have more energy, but he certainly isn't coherent. Uh, and, but Biden struggles. And again, we, this is what we said last time. It's like there needs to be particular oration skills that you need to be able to have, uh, you know, that will inspire and uplift and connect. Uh, and I think that everybody listens to it, certainly when you see in these polls, too. They just don't have any of those three things right now. Um, and that's going to be a, an albatross around his neck. There's no question. I don't know how he does it, uh, you know, when we actually start the campaign. Like at a, at a macro level, people want something different. That's, I mean, that, that, that is what it is. And like, like when it comes to this, I'm sorry, you look at these Trump things, you trust Trump on Israel. What is he, what, what is Trump's position been on Israel? Well, you know, the the Abraham Accords uh, were under his watch. Oh, right. And also when he moved the embassy. Great. Um, How did Trump do with the economy, Nick? Okay, listen, I'll, okay, I'll be a Trump person. Uh, you know, awesome until this uncontrollable event happened that he had nothing to do with and that, you know, it caused him to do bad, Nick. That is not true. He started a trade war that basically like put America in a rut and also did nothing but like give tax cuts to the rich. That was all he was able to do. Well, and also he, they didn't they didn't manage the pandemic properly either, which would have no. helped the economy uh, get through it better. So, yes. How do you do on immigration? Oh, I mean, it was a hellscape uh, of torture and uh, abuse. <laughs> it was it was literally a fascist hellscape. How did he do on national security? Oh, that's right. He handed over secrets to anybody who asked for them. Did he not? Oh, yeah. Well, then, yeah. And then Afghanistan, all sorts of stuff. Uh, that, so uh, what uh, actually has happened? People are just saying, well, I mean, I guess I got to choose something else. They have forgotten who he is. Or they have now, like, put it in the light of how they feel about Joe Biden. It is now just like slander to just simply say, you know, thanks, Joe Biden. That's I mean, that is literally like shorthand for what's happened in this country at this point. So and you you said this last time, you think that what's going on in the Middle East is definitely uh, affecting his numbers. Oh, yeah. Nobody in America likes how America's handling this. And matter of fact, we don't have to get into the whole thing. America doesn't like how this whole thing's being handled. Lincoln went to the Middle East and Netanyahu basically told him to pound sand. And it was like, you don't tell us how to prosecute this war. And Blinken's just like, shit, nobody's happy about this. Biden well, knows it as well. And that's what I was trying to tell you. Like, I, I don't yeah. think that Biden snaps his fingers and then they just suddenly stop doing what they're doing in Gaza. Well, I, I think when Benjamin Netanyahu realizes that his entire career and possibly his freedom as a citizen relies on this thing going the way it's going, you're right. But that's the whole point. If if Amer- if the president of the United States of America can at least make a situation better, mm-hmm. he's not going to win much. Right. You know what I mean? Like, again, not to bring up Jimmy Carter, but that's what a lot of what happened with Jimmy Carter. He faced a lot of intractable situations that he couldn't handle. Okay, fair enough. Um, Now, so the interesting thing would be uh, to solve what's going on in Ukraine and solve what's going on in the Middle East. 
you know, right around October of next year, right? That's going to be their timing, right? That's what they have to do. And that'll change everything, right? Well, and Trump would handle it within 24 hours. That's the whole thing. Like he's able to just say that, which is amazing if you're not president of the United States of America. Well, but wait a minute. I'm speaking of which Biden could snap his fingers in theory in Ukraine, right? I, I mean, he could, I guess, maybe hand Ukraine over to Russia if he wanted to, but I don't know what happens after yeah, that. Yeah, or under the guise of some peace treaty thing and Russia gets at whatever. I mean, listen, that was, I, I'm cynical today. I guess this is what's going on, but I just feel like, you know, if you're if you are on the Biden side and you need to figure out ways to like get this thing turned around and get everybody back on your side, you need to have these wins that are going to be splashed right. big and headlines. But you can't do it too early, right? You can't do these things. Like if you fixed the economy, quote unquote, or somehow got prices at the market to go down, you kind of want to wait until like the summer, right? It's got to be closer to the election because the people are going to freaking forget about it, and then they're going to hate you again by the time they have to vote. I don't know if he has until the summer. I'll be honest with you. This is like a make or break thing. If they're going to replace him and the Democratic Party can't kick Biden out, that can't happen. Like even a phone call from Barack Obama will not get rid of Joe Biden. You know, Obama can call and be like, hey, you know, we need to talk about what's going on here. Biden has to make that decision. And again, it would be like a Lyndon B. Johnson type situation. I I, I will not seek nor will I accept uh, the nomination of my party. It has to start happening. It has to start happening before like. I, I don't know, January, February, March of next year. It's got to be going down that road. And I don't know if he's going to get this ship turned around. I don't I don't know if that's going to happen at this point. Like this narrative, Nick, and it doesn't matter what he has done. And we've called balls and strikes on this show. We've told you when he's done the good things. We've told you when he's really, really disappointed people. The overall narrative of this presidency as it's heading into November of 2024, and you can be the most diehard Biden supporter in the world, but you will have to understand that the narrative of this thing, not just in the media, but within the political class, is that this thing is running aground on the rocks. I don't know if there's time to get this thing turned around in time. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to quickly remind myself uh, exactly when LBJ uh, stepped down. It was early in 68. Yeah. Um, not to be overlooked that the Tet Offensive happens and then he steps down because it sort of shifted the war completely, uh, you know, as a, most of the, the country shifted against it from that. So so God forbid that something like that would happen uh, for Biden to step down. But let's just pretend it's a polls thing then. Uh, well, it's not even just necessarily a polls thing. Nick, we have the beginnings of one of the largest anti-war movements this country has seen since at least Iraq, if not since the 1970s. Like what is happening in this country is like really, really seismic. And that looks a lot like what that time period did where the Democratic Party basically young people said, hey, we don't want anything to do with you for a while. Are are you folding Ukraine into uh, Gaza as far as anti-war? I think it was anti-war, the fact that Russia shouldn't have invaded Ukraine. But at this point, I think it it is uh, opposition to what Israel is doing. I mean, you can't go into a major city right now without basically running into a massive protest. I mean, it, it, pro, yes, there's a lot of anti-Semitism as well connected to all of this. Um, and that's that's also troubling, uh, considering. I don't that, think you can paint the anti-war movement as anti-Semitic. I, I know what you're saying, but I don't no, agree with that. Well, I, I am saying that there that there, these things are moving, you know, parallel or separately. But but there are parallel movements here with this. Do you do you wait? Do you think that like the like thousands of people who are showing up at this, like you think like a large portion of them are being anti-Semitic? 
Well, no. Well, the worry here is that um, as the anti-Israel rhetoric ratchets, uh, ratchets up, it taps into anti-Semitism as well on a parallel track. And I don't we think they have to. I think they can, but I don't think they have to. Well, they? we were seeing it. I mean, I think it's happening across across the world. Well, yeah. I mean, anti-Semitism has been growing for years. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that the two are necessarily laced together. But I, I am telling you, I, I'm seeing... Like what I am seeing right now is that Biden, like in terms of support, I mean, you don't have to take it from me. Look at the numbers. I mean, the the base is crumbling around Biden. Right. Like the the, the fact is that even now, like fifty four percent of Democrats are saying that he's too old at this point and that they want new leadership. I mean that that in in of itself, outside of the anti war movement, is I think it, it should tell you that something's happening. Here. Right. Which is why you got to pull that apart and say, okay, let's say he brokers a peace in Gaza, right? That would sure. be a monumental thing that would really should help him. But I don't know if it does, right? Because I don't I don't know if it I don't know if it could at this point or if he right. can. I don't know if he can. Yeah. And right could he do it? it just, would would Blinken be the person who's like the, the guy who's going to be you know shaking their hands or whatever instead of uh, instead of him uh the, he's been sort of the, the democrats generally are notorious for being awful at get, getting credit for good things that they actually do so i, I i'm worried about all these things i mean i'm basically agreeing with everything you're saying i'm just also throwing in some ideas about what would they do to actually solve this stuff and i again i think we're both saying that it's not necessarily solvable uh, it's not a great situation is right. what it is. It's a right. really, really bad situation. And the Democratic Party is struggling and Joe Biden is struggling. And it goes back to the point where everybody says, like, I I don't know how many people I've heard, whether they're political strategy, strategists, politicians, uh, people who talk behind the scenes never tell me that they think it's a good idea for Joe Biden to run again. They say, of course, they'll support him. They're not going to vote for Donald Trump, but they don't feel confident about this. The way that it's gone, the way it's been perceived and the way that it's taking off. But, well, on that note, because of this debate that we're going to be covering, um, you know, you'll be listening to this on Tuesday, on Wednesdays when the debate will be. A reminder, go to patreon.com slash podcast to, to hang out with us after the debate. It's going to be, um, well, it'll be a good time. You and me and everybody hanging out. I mean, the debate's not going to be a good time. Uh, but let's take a look at exactly what is happening leading up into this thing. Um, as I've said, uh, the, the, the scuttlebutt is that Nikki Haley has become the establishment candidate. She has taken over for Ron DeSantis. Um, she has basically got in line a lot of the major donors who were with DeSantis. They saw him as a Trump killer. But DeSantis actually just picked up an endorsement from the governor of Iowa, which is a weird uh, kind of out of nowhere situation. Uh, there, There isn't a real clear field that has emerged. We know Chris Christie will be there. He's floundering. Uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy will be there. It. I, I can't wait to hear what Vivek has to say about Israel Gaza because that's going to be awful. It's going to be just absolutely awful. We also, going into this debate uh, on Tuesday, when you listen to this, uh, Nick, the Virginia elections will be held. Glenn Youngkin, who is also considered one of the dark horses that everyone's trying to get into this race, he has gone hard on abortion restrictions in the Virginia legislature elections on Tuesday. God knows what that's going to look like going into the debate on Wednesday. What are you looking for in this debate? I mean, someone's going to have to make a move. Somebody's got to do something. Yes. It's been a little bit quiet. Uh, they haven't quite figured out what the wedge is like to get them uh, the, the next step, right? They, they, they've exhausted a lot of the talking points on Ukraine. Israel is interesting because it's, it's continually unfolding. So that'll be awful, uh, the takes there either way. 
Uh, and I would suspect that a lot of the takes are going to be some version of, um, you know, actually, is it going to be the, they, it seems like they're, they're, they're much more like warmongering than the regular general population in America is. Right. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. They're going to want to defend Israel. They're going to want to make sure that Israel has a chance to defend themselves and, and go after Hamas, all that stuff. So you'll hear a lot of that, which will then be the absence of any kind of sympathy towards the innocent Palestinians who are trapped in, in Gaza. Um, you'll see. So that that might be the one big one. I'm just trying to kind of parse this, figure out exactly like what is the the way someone's going to bring out something, you know, uh, you never when Kamala Harris was able to hit Joe Biden on the chin with the busing. Yep. Like, I feel like we're waiting for one of those things to happen here. And um, I, I can't quite figure it out. For what it's worth, I did see Chris Christie talking at, a, at one of these Trump convention things in Florida. And he was really interesting because he kind of called them out to their faces. And it, it didn't really go well. They continued <laughs> to boo him. But I really I, I enjoy Chris, Chris Christie, Christie now just as a guy who is you know, going to get 3% of the, the vote and then sort of speak a little more freely. Well, uh, first of all, I'll, I'll go ahead and give some analysis here that you're not going to hear anywhere else. The fact that NBC News is hosting this thing over Fox News or Fox Nation or, you know, Fox at Home or whatever it is, that tells me they're going to spend a lot of time talking about Israel and Gaza. Fox wants to talk about the culture war issues. NBC is going to want answers from these people. Mm -hmm. That is right up Nikki Haley's like avenue. And and quite frankly, she's a neoconservative, you know, with with some like Trump MAGA sort of on her, which she's been more than happy to have. Um, She is probably going to command the greater amount of time and attention when it comes to that. Um, I think on that alone, she'll probably walk away from this debate having won. Also. I don't know how anybody else is necessarily going to go after her. Um, Ron DeSantis has been going after Trump like nobody's business lately. He he realized finally, he was like, if I have any chance in this whatsoever, I have to hit Trump hard. And so he's going to basically every other answer probably go after Trump. Christie, I mean, hopefully he has another zinger on the level of Donald Duck. Like, let's just hope that he can trot something out. For entertainment purposes. Please. Uh, Chris Christie's campaign is in utter disarray, and and that is actually uh, probably offensive to most things in utter disarray because this thing has never gotten off to a start. Uh, He's going to go in swinging just haymakers trying to figure something out. Maybe he'll go after Haley. I don't know. Um, But yeah, it's going to be very, very strange. And like you said, somebody has to make a move. And Nikki Haley is emerging, as we've talked about, as the establishment alternative to Donald Trump. Doesn't mean she's going to beat him. Doesn't mean that she's necessarily going to even give him a contest. But with this war and what is happening, she is the person that a lot of these people are flocking to. She's the last serious person. That's what's happening right now. So it'll be interesting to see if she can handle that. She hasn't had that type of a spotlight on her. She hasn't had that much pressure. Uh, She basically made her name, as we covered, Nick, in the first couple of debates, going after Vivek. Like, that was her big thing. She was like, you're not a serious candidate. And Ramaswamy just sort of smiled and, and dealt with it. But it will be interesting to see what happens with her because she is emerging as the front, the new front runner in this thing. Well, and then I feel so much better about my reaction to no, her. No, you should not. You should not feel good about that. You should feel terrible about that. I, listen, you, she's the, as I, I'm going to quote you, as you said, she's the only serious candidate left. So I'm going to take heavy, heavy scare quotes on serious. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. 
But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of forgetting. I got to remember exactly what she was saying. That I was like, oh, she sounded like a progressive. Well, she said you can't ban abortion outright. She was like, that's not a way to like go about this and all of that. She was the one person on the stage yeah. who was even like answering that question with any seriousness. Yeah. So I look for and listen, anybody who's going to be an adult out here, I'm more than happy to have uh, participate in these things because we need more of that. But uh, we've already, so the, the, the cat's out of the bag on all this stuff and, and the way you have to behave and the way, and even just the, uh, your, your platform as a GOP candidate is so awful these days and so unpopular um that it's, it's ne- there's no redeeming that no matter what right i don't i can't picture any gop candidate ever emerging out of that cesspool uh that you know like like for instance romney in 2012 like would it have been the worst thing if he ended up beating obama like i i, I it would have been bad it would have been bad you know but like you know we would have taken that listen the, the thing about trump here is it makes like fucking w look like a guy you'd want to have back in the white house don't no i'm gonna get out the spray bottle nick right. do not I, say I, that I, on this podcast all right. I mean, listen, we're all about hyperbole here, aren't we? So nonetheless, um, you know, it's uh, that that's where we are here. Uh, it's going to be a shit show. Uh, we're going to end up, um, you know, our jaws are going to end up hitting the ground. At some point, yes. um, but, you know what? Hey, it's content. It'll be things that people are interested in talking about and it'll help us and all that stuff. So I suppose let's let's get on that on that horse, just like these polls. I, I mean, listen. It will be interesting because the Republican Party has largely allowed the Democratic Party to be the ones who say anything about what's happening in Israel. That is pretty much what has happened. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, of course, has said, you know, Hezbollah is very smart. That's basically been the main answer on this stuff. You know, with some of the MAGA and House Freedom people trying to get rid of any aid whatsoever and try and split it with Ukraine and going after all that. That is one of the things I'm watching out of this is that Maybe we can get an articulation of what the Republican Party is going to say about this going forward, where it's going to lead. And Haley, I I think, is going to be um, aggressive on a level that is going to be kind of upsetting, I think, is what's going to happen from it. And on top of it, I think we're going to start to see the formation as we head into December. We're going to start to see the formation of what the race is going to be, because we don't know that yet. You know, we thought for a while it might be DeSantis and Trump. And of course, DeSantis folded like a wet paper bag. Well, speaking of the GOP, Nick, we have to talk about the ever increasingly strangeness around the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, We've talked about this guy. He's a Christian nationalist extremist. Uh, It is really terrifying that this guy ended up in this position of power. Uh, He's two heartbeats away from the presidency right now, which is, uh, well, it's something. But things keep getting weirder. Uh, First off, Nick, uh, it it turns out with a little bit of digging into his past, besides the fact that he uh, claims he doesn't really have a bank account, which is fun, uh, it turns out that uh, Johnson has has advised and worked with a gay conversion therapy group called Exodus Exodus International. Also, his wife, Kelly Johnson, who sounds fantastic, who will tell anyone who is listening that he's been ordained by God for power, uh, she runs a counseling business called, quote, Onward Christian Counseling that equates being gay or being trans with uh, being incestuous, being a sexual predator, and or engaging in bestiality. Sounds like wonderful people, if you ask me. Oh, and you know, a friend of the break, a friend of the pod, Jess Piper, who came on, who had run for Congress, had, had a, a really good little uh, video where she describes the voice that his wife speaks in 
which is that evangelical baby oh, voice. Yeah. Forgetting the, the exact term. Um, and she's right. Like it really is. And like the more baby sounding you get with that tone, like the more, the better wife you are to these people. Oh. And it's really awful. The whole thing is awful. And, and here's the thing. If you want to live your life that way, I, I, you know, I, more power to you. If you want no, to, less power to you. All right, fine. I mean, listen, to me, it's like if you, you know, in their minds, they've dedicated their lives to this sort of higher power. They want to follow the Bible. It's like, listen, I, I'm not going to tell anybody not to do that. I, I have respect for people who want to, you know, live their life a certain way. But when you get into these roles of like Speaker of the House, right, and that, like that's really where we have a problem here. There's no way he makes $175,000 a year. Where is this money that he's making? If he doesn't have a bank account and has more than like a thousand bucks in it, does he have like 50 different bank accounts that all have $800? Like, I don't understand how that works at all. This He has a kid that he, he, he claims that he adopted when he was, you know, 23 years old or whatever. The kid was, you know, 10 years younger than him or 11 years younger than him. That whole thing, which I don't even know how aware you are of that, is a real problem. I didn't know about it until you told me. And like, man, the GOP is full of weirdness, is it not? Yeah, you know, and it's like it's it, you know the, the only and I hate where it's going because there isn't any information or evidence about what this all really means. But uh, you know, there's the parallel to what um, Matt Gates had when he had this adopted son uh, just causes all these uh, you know all this stuff to happen, and that's frustrating as well because someone just needs to be able to ask him, and he needs to be able to explain it. He needs to be able to explain his bank account. But you're right; it, it keeps getting worse. And so I will be uh, go on the record right now and tell you there's going to be another big bombshell around this guy that we're not going to believe uh, and it'll come out sooner or later. I, first of all, Nick, I, I, I don't know that I can believe that you're sitting here saying that this incredibly cloistered, um, disturbing evangelical man who walked into power, uh, like, like Selig, like just somehow <laughs> or another that there's something weird under the surface here. Um, I just just want to point out with this, with the gay conversion therapy, with the Christian counseling, all of that, there has been such a weird intertwining. Of course, if you've read The Midnight Kingdom and History of Power, Paranoia and the Coming Crisis, you'll know about this. But lately, there's been such a huge convergence in terms of capitalism and Christianity, like a brand new type of it. I mean, like literally going out and abusing people for money abusing children the, the in, in gay conversion therapy like abusing them at, at the behest of, of parents who are willing to pay a ton of money a bunch of middle class white collar parents who are like oh i don't want my kid to be gay or trans and so as a result you pay these types of people who are influencers and they're celebrities within this whole thing and then eventually one of them rises up to the level of speaker of the house that's how bad the situation is that's how fucked up this situation is, is that they really have created such a, a wealth and power base that this type of stuff becomes all the more likely. You know, in the same vein as anybody who's old enough to remember what Nixon did to this country and still supports a guy like Trump, for instance, should they should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely. The, the, the gay conversion therapy stuff. This was rife in the 70s and 80s. This was going on a whole lot. I mean, my best friend growing up, her brother, they did did this to him in the 80s, right? And it, and he tells it, and it kind of a, tries to make it humorous because it was probably so painful uh, to have to go through. It was torture. It was ridiculous under the guise of like psychologists, trained psychologists who supposedly were going to be able to do this and convert people, whatever. Um, the fact that we're now in, in 2023 
And and by the way, this would have been not that long ago. What was it? Ten years ago, he's involved in this. Whatever. Yep. Any time after that initial time in the seventies is is ridiculous, and it is it is soul killing to know that yep. these things not only like did never die, did never went away, weren't like tamped down completely. They they were under the surface and they bubbled up until somebody can somehow unleash this thing again. We're going backwards. We are going backwards to we're not going to have uh, interracial marriage. We're not going to have you know people having sex before marriage. Like that, this is what we're going towards at this point with people like this in charge. <sighs> and Nick, I'm glad you. Well, I'm not glad you brought this up. It's all soul killing and awful. Um, th- this is a clip that has been unearthed. Um, this is Johnson uh, at one of these really really gross Christian TED Talk wannabe things where he's talking about uh, a product called Covenant eyes and uh I'll, I'll just let him i'll let him explain it to you and then uh then we can react with covenant eyes within your home and so uh, why is that such an effective tool why do parents need to put this into their home yeah that's great great uh, question we we probably could have called this more appropriately a war on the darkness of technology i mean you know the bible apps we all love we, we broadcast our services you know on our social media and and there's some very positive things, but there's also, as Clint's pointed out aptly, some really dark things. So Covenant Eyes is the software that I, I we've been using a long time in our household. Uh, I was I first learned about it at, I think, a Promise Keepers event in the early 2000s. I think it was oh. developed in about the year 2000. Uh, but it's the largest um, accountability software that there is. And, and there's some paperwork out there on the table that I think everybody may have picked up on the way in. If not, go get it. I, it's a subscription-based. I mean, we don't make any money on this. I'm telling you, I, we use it. Okay, I, they're not, I'm, not in, I'm endorsing it because I'm a user. Mm. Uh, it's about fifteen dollars a month, sixteen dollars a month, something like that. And you get up to ten devices. And what it is, it's accountability software. So uh, men in a church, you know, men's Bible study groups will do it. That's how it's presented at Promise Keepers. But they also mention, hey, when your kids become teenagers, especially if you have boys, dads, they're talking to the guys at this event. You might want to think about doing this with your sons. And so we've been doing that. And so what it does real, real simply is it has an algorithm and software. I'm, it's way above my head how it works, but um, it, it scans. You, you obviously opt into it, but it scans every all the activity on your phone or your devices, your laptop, tablet, what have you. We do all of it. And then it sends a report to your accountability partner. So my accountability partner right now is Jack, my son, right? And so he's 17. So he and I get a report of all the things that are on our phones or all of our devices once a week. If anything objectionable comes up, your accountability partner gets an immediate notice. I'm proud to tell you my son has, has got a clean slate, all right? Yeah. But but we get we get a report, and it says, hey, no no uh, activity of concern, and it's really, really sensitive. It'll pick up almost anything. It looks for keywords, search terms, and also images, and it will send your accountability partner a blurred uh, picture of the image. And so on occasion, I get one. I was just looking at the one from this week. I got it on, on Jack, and it said, this, this is the only one that may be questionable, and it's this blurred Im- image of two, two women talking in a live screen thing, and I zoom in, and I have to unblur it, and it's, and it's two middle-aged teachers. Oh, Nick, it's so screwed up. It's so screwed up that these people, and again, I, I bring up Mike Pence and mother. He can't be alone in a room with another woman because the sins of the flesh might be too much. These people are so 
repressed and so obsessed with oppressing others because they believe that human beings are disgusting and wretched, that anything that even comes near sexual expression, sexual experience has to be completely and utterly evil to the point where they are absolutely jumping in full bore with surveillance technology that is meant to shame and hurt others. It doesn't get more disgusting. I mean, okay, I agree. I I will say there is value to having the kind of filters on your Wi-Fi that doesn't allow your kids to get on the porn sites. So that's something. Um, but but this is weird. The accountability partner thing is very strange. And by the way, just an FYI, these kids figure out how to circumvent that thing in about one minute. No, absolutely. No, it's stupid. And he's obviously making money from this thing, trying to peddle it to parents. No doubt about it. Yeah. So his 17-year-old son with a clean slate, uh, (laughs) I would really like to know, yeah, be able to, well, I don't want to know, but I would imagine that's completely not, that's not accurate. But nonetheless. Can you imagine if you didn't trust yourself so much that like something like this had to be necessary just without anything even happening? And that's what all these promise keepers are about too, is it is literally about making people so ashamed of themselves and controlling your children and controlling your spouse and just controlling everybody that like you have to set up a situation in which like everything that you do is reported to another person so that you can be shamed and punished. It is, it is nightmarish. And and, and so I'm clear about this. Was it clear to you that everything that Mike Johnson himself sees and whatever gets sent to his son? Gets sent to his son. Okay. I saw that. that, I shudder. Yeah. This ain't great. Yeah. You know, but nonetheless, um, I mean, you know, it, it's it's extremely twisted in, in a way, because in theory, you have this covenant with God. Right. That's the guy you're going to answer to. And that's one who you would, uh, you know, that, you know, that that's who you're accountable to. Now. No, you're accountable to your promise keepers that meet on Wednesday nights at 730 and then drink a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Like, well, they, I mean, like, literally, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an ex-evangelical. I grew up in this community. This is sicko ass behavior. Is what about the, the, the marriage covenant stuff that they were trying to develop as well? Yeah. We did? I can't remember. Where, no, like, no, no, we didn't. Because, no. they, yeah, they invented this, or they invented, yeah. they, they came up with this thing where when you you enter this covenant of marriage with your spouse, you simply, there is never going to be any sort of, like, divorce ever. Right. No, there's no ability whatsoever to leave a partner. And, and like, there's no such thing as abuse either because, like, you, you own your partner. Right. So. Yeah, well, which no, is what they want to do. They want to get rid of no fault divorce. They want to get back to the point where like women can't leave men that they're financially and socially completely chained to them. Like that's where all this is going. Right. Sure. And, and let's make it clear: when you said you can never leave, it's the woman can never leave the man. That's oh the, yeah, for that's sure. Although I guess uh, never mind. Like the covenant was both, but like clearly there's a there, there's the woman thing. We've already talked about the voice and the whole thing. It is. Oh, just, I mean, yeah. They're disgusting. The way they want to practice this sort of pious life, what they feel Sucks. is righteous, is horrible. Then let's let's make. I want to make sure I'm on the record saying that, yeah. you know. Uh, but again, whatever you want to do in your own home is great. But when you start spilling it out into like kind of control everybody else, you know, and that seems to be the mo. And then it becomes a political thing. It sort of makes sense why the Republican right has become this way. It's because they're channeling the same fervor that the religious uh, sects have, and then they think it's the same thing. Yeah. And the the thing here is, and we talk about this a lot, Nick, there are some people who truly believe this. Mike Johnson is a zealot. 
Like yeah. he is a true believing zealot. You know, this is a person who is raised up in an authoritarian system and has absolutely just ingratiated himself onto this. There are others, Republicans, who see this as a really handy weapon. You know, they're, they're not necessarily spiritual. Maybe they're, they're culturally Christian or whatever, but they really like the idea of rolling back women's rights. They really like the idea of continuing to abuse children in order to, you know, uh, promote some sort of a discipline with them, right? Or to keep them like themselves. Yeah. And, and this thing, it just continues to perpetuate itself and get worse and worse. All right. On our last note, I uh, just wanted to touch on this for a second. Uh, this came out uh, this weekend. It, it is something that is is worth noting. After the United Auto Workers uh, absolutely destroyed Ford, GM, and Stellantis and put the fear of God into every uh, uh, car manufacturer, uh, President Sean Fain has gone out and said that uh, intentionally, the UAW set the end of their most recent uh, contract for April 30th, 2028, in order to prepare for what he is calling for a massive strike on May 1st of 2028, which would be May Day. Uh, this is a quote, Nick, from Sean Fain. Quote, we invite unions around the country to align your contract expirations with our own so that together we can begin to flex our collective muscles. If we are going to truly take on the billionaire class and rebuild the economy so that it starts to work for the benefit of the many, it's important not only that we strike, but that we strike together. This is big shit, man. Like, like, however you want to parse it, like the idea that he is trying to put together a giant union for a giant labor action, uh, you can't say that Fain is an ambitious. We'll say that. Fair enough. I mean, in putting the term collective bargaining into a, a greater context here, which, you know, that's what it's really about. The more people you have involved in the more sectors, the stronger you are to be able to negotiate. The only problem I have, because I thought they did a great job with what they did with the UAW and as far as getting uh, a, a huge pay raise for most of the people in the, in the union and in better conditions and working. Like, right. I, I don't think anyone's going to complain of what they were able to get concessions from. Right. Like that's that seems pretty clear. So it's like, and not that you want to rest in your laurels and just sort of get lazy or whatever, but it just feels like, you know, it's awfully fast to suddenly now be already planning the next strike, uh, you know, whatever. And and I and I get it. And it, it was a headline grabber, too, because you want to get as many people on board and to get as much publicity on this as possible. Uh, so it's the only my first reaction was a little bit like. You know, all right, but like you know, it seems like um, you know th there should be a win here, and they should maybe just sort of um, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel like it had to come out today. You know, so I I I disagree. I think this is fucking awesome. This is like an echo of the former industrial workers of the world, the Wobblies, mm -hmm. in which was the idea of a big union that could finally break the grip of capitalism over labor. Sean Fain has designs. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if he's going to put together one big union that's going to lead to a massive strike in order to try and change the trajectory of things. But I'll tell you, at some point or another, you got to tip your cap and say, good for you for going for it. Yeah. Like this is like one of the problems with labor unions. And this is something that is hard to understand. There has been an issue in which leaders of the unions have basically been bought off. Because they, they have a lot of money, they have a lot of power, and so there's more incentive for them to make contracts with the employers over the actual workers. And so what you actually end up having is a class system within the unions. Fain is not messing around. And he doesn't mince words. He's happy talking about class war. He's happy talking about going after the billionaire class. This is a gambit. 
Like this is a gamble saying we are going to have a massive labor action in 2028. And by the way, like Mayday, like like the organized labor like socialist, you know, sort of idea. Like he couldn't make it more plain what he's doing. It is ambitious. I don't know if it's going to work, but I got to tell you, this is like old stuff. This is early 20th century, late 19th century stuff is what's going on here. It's, it's kind of, I'm not excited about the possibilities because there's no question. There needs to be a stronger uh, way of being able to negotiate, especially we're talking about, uh the rail railroads you're talking about airports uh why, why am i forgetting the, the term not air, airports you know the guys who are that reagan forced to come back or fired everybody air, oh the air traffic controllers air traffic controllers thank you but but the real union thing that's the most disjointed that would need to be it would be incredible if they could figure out how to get this more centralized would be teachers unions um i feel like having been in the teachers union for a while understanding the the value of it uh it, it's the most maligned of all of them i would imagine right in terms of what people think about you know what these teacher unions mean and how they they're, they're how bad they are so but part of the reason why they have a hard time negotiating is because it's so disjointed across the whole country that would be interesting to see if they could figure that out too and make it more centralized well, I mean, if teachers continue to be pinched and there's nothing that tells us that they won't be, it's what the Republican Party is doing as a matter of strategy and they don't show any signs of stopping. Yeah, like teachers union getting in on this would be pretty huge. Um, also, just sort of uh, service industry people, which is something that we're starting to see. Uh, we're seeing a lot more radical action in all these places, including at places like Amazon and Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Like if we could get to the point where like a lot of this stuff could come to a head, which is what I've been talking about for a while. Like you don't reach this point of precarity and this point of inequality and also this point of crisis without this type of labor action starting to become more and more inevitable. It has to happen if it's going to continue to get worse. And like the fact that Fain is like putting this out there and obviously he's not alone. He didn't decide this on his own. Like it had to go through the union as well. Um, I think it tells you everything you need to know about where, where what direction things are heading in. Yeah. And it, it really sucks that places like Amazon and Starbucks, you, you have to have a union because they treated the workers so badly. Yes. Now, that said, it's almost like the way capitalism works is like you, you need that's why unions are necessary. Like yep. they need them as badly as the workers do because they need to be reined in. Otherwise, capitalism dictates they will not. They'll treat their workers like shit. Like it's almost like that's oh. the law. They can't help they, themselves. You know, something moves in there. So you you need that, and they almost they they almost need it to, in order to treat people humanely, and that's the problem with our whole the way this is all set up. Uh, and when you have democracy and, and capitalism meeting, we end up getting to this, which is could very well be the end of the uh, end of the democracy as we know it. Well, and I. I got to tell you, man, like they signed their own death warrants whenever they went ahead and started destroying unions, because what you just said, like that was the only thing that led to anything even approaching a homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Everything else leads to chaos and crisis like that. that That's just the case. And, and history shows us, you know, that happens in cycles that you can set your watch by it, but they can't help themselves. This is how it always ends up happening. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting things. I, I'm kind of shocked that this came out as quickly as it did after the settlement. That was that was uh, pretty, pretty aggressive. All right, everybody, we will be back tomorrow. You're listening to this on Tuesday. We will be back on Wednesday night with your post-Republican GOP. That's redundant. With your post 
GOP primary debate analysis show. That is a mouthful. Wow. Uh, we will be over at patreon.com slash podcast immediately following the airing of the debates. Uh, it starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. I think it's scheduled for two hours, so probably at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we hope to see you there. We always enjoy these live shows, and we always like it when the community gets to come out. Uh, hope to see you. And in the meantime, you can find Nick at Can Hear Me Estimate. You can find me at Jay West Axton. Stay safe out there, everyone. Thank you.